This morning, I want to go ahead and invite you to open up to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. We're continuing our series in Ecclesiastes, the point of it all. You'll remember this preacher is on a great quest to figure out uh, meaning and satisfaction. Is there even any point to life at all? So he's on this quest, and, and, and we, we, we're going to find some more knowledge and some more wisdom from him this morning as we uh, trek through Ecclesiastes and Ecclesiastes 5. So if you're using one of the Bibles we provided for you, that will be on page 555 of those Bibles in your rows. And uh, before we jump into the text, I want to take you back to January 2004. Uh, this was a significant time for me, not because it was about to be my third semester of seminary, and I was taking a January term at the time, Systematic Theology too, and uh, really working hard, you know, kind of doing my thing there as a seminary student, uh, single at the time. And uh, so it was just a, it was a good season of life. And uh, one of my, my classmates uh, in that theology class, his name was Rusty Massey, one of, one of, one of my uh, best friends from seminary. And you see, Rusty, what, what was going on there was much more that week, thankfully, than, than systematic theology. Rusty said to me, about three or four months earlier, he said, hey, Tanner, uh, Natalie and I, this was his fiance at the time, he said, Natalie and I have uh, this, this Georgia peach that we, uh, you know, want you to meet. And, um, and so I was like, okay, man, w- whatever, um, you know. I'm sure I'll never meet this, you know, Georgia peach, but if, if you, you know, whatever you say, man, maybe one day. And uh, so it just ha- so happens that three months later, I'm sitting in class, and he's kind of, you know, half paying attention, I think, and I'm trying to pay attention, I'm pretty sure. And uh, he says, hey, Tanner, Natalie and Marsha are coming up this, this, uh, this weekend. Maybe we can all hang out. So I said, all right, you know, hey, sounds good to me. And, uh, and Friday night, lined it up, you know, a lot of our friends get together, by the way, single, that's the way to do it, do it amongst friends, just get to know someone, become friends. And so Marsha and I meet at Applebee's, and, and lo and behold, I find out, you know, six months, a year later, she was actually so impressed by my appearance that she, she called me Mr. Rogers later. Um, I had a sweater on and some glasses. I looked a little more academic than she expected. Natalie had told her I played basketball, and so she was not, that was not what she expected. And uh, so I didn't know that at the time. I thought it looked all right. And then, you know, but, but Sunday night, we actually got to hang out again with Natalie and Rusty. And, and so, you know, I went, I went all out this time, okay? I mean, I got, I got prepared for the occasion. I, I ironed my khakis, okay? That wasn't an everyday thing, you know, back at that point. Uh, ironed my khakis, put on my nicest blue button-up, you know, extra layer, of deodorant, a few extra squirts of curve, you know, just trying to make a good impression, and, uh, and so we, we went out, we had a great time, but I mean, I was, I was ready, right, like I was, I was on time, which was big for me also, um, really, really prayed up, you know, thinking through, what questions could I ask her, how can I get to know this young lady, and see what she's all about, and uh, needless to say, the rest is history, um, by God's grace, you know, made a decent first impression, and, and vice versa. So, 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 so think, think about this, all right? We prepare for what we really care about, right? Whether that's a, a work meeting, whether that's a class at school, um, whether that's a, a birthday party for your, for your son or your daughter, we prepare for that which we care about. Do we prepare for worship in a way that would maybe reflect this kind of story. I mean, I mean do, we, do we treat, this is where we're going today, okay, Sunday, worship, approaching God, this is where we are. So, so when you come to worship, do, do you prepare in such a way that, it, that you're about to meet the girl of your dreams? 
Marsha's heart just fluttered a little bit. All right. <laughs> Look, what we do on Sundays, is, it's even better than that, right? We, we meet with the triune God, the God who made us, the, the God who made us for his glory, the God who, who wants to know us and has, and has made himself available to us through Christ. This is our opportunity every Sunday when we gather together to worship him. And so that's where we're going in Ecclesiastes 5, verses 1 through 7. What the text is going to teach us this morning is this, is that God desires for us to respond to his infinite worth in a way that honors him. You got that? God desires for us to respond to his infinite worth in, in a way that honors him. So, so the question is, okay, what's the way that honors him? And this is what we're going to discover in Ecclesiastes 5, all right? So, so the first encouragement this morning is this, to worship God with reverence and confidence. Worship God with reverence and confidence. Look, look at verse 1 of Ecclesiastes 5. This is where we're going. He says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Here we have this exhortation for the people of Israel concerning their worship. Worship was very important to them, just as it's very important to us. We gather together. It's not that we can't meet with God, you know, on like Monday and Wednesday and Saturday. I mean, like that's, you know, God is accessible all the time. And we worship him all the time. But there's something special about gathering together with, with other believers, other people who may be seeking about this God to, to, to hear from him, to meet with him, to worship him, to give him praise. It's an opportunity to meet with God and for God to renew us, to transform us, to make our lives look more like him. This is why we gather together. And this is what the Israelites did as well. They went to the house of God, probably here a reference to the temple. The temple in the Old Testament was, was the place where God had promised his presence, had promised to meet with his people there at the temple, where they expressed their devotion, their, their, their sincerity, their sacrifices to God. This is where they met with him in worship. Let's understand what we're talking about with worship. Worship comes from a Latin word, which means to ascribe worth to. Ascribe worth to. It is, I like a definition from Louis Giglio back in the day. He unpacked this for me. He said, worship is our response, okay, our response to what we value the most. Got it? So what we're saying by like getting out of bed, taking time out of our week, giving it to God, is we're saying, God, you're valuable. And, and as we come to realize that God is not simply just valuable, like he is infinitely valuable, then we start to, ch- it changes the way we view worship, what we do when we come together as, as those who desire to know God, want to explore who he is and what he's about. And so we, we worship God because God is infinitely great, infinitely valuable, infinitely glorious, infinitely holy, and infinitely worthy. All right? And I want you to think about this, this word worthy and worship. It, it, they, they go together, right? This is it. God's worth, his worth is what drives our worship. If you just walk away with those five words, his worth drives our worship, you'll really get a lot out of this message today. We are responding to the worth of God. 
And this is what happens in Revelation 5. If you want, we don't do this much, but take your Bible, stick your thumb in the air, turn to Revelation 5. It's the very last book of the Bible. If you don't want to turn there, you can just listen. All right, Revelation 5, verses 9 through 14. Listen to this word, worthy. It's a response to the worth. This is, this is Jesus here, sitting on the throne, lamb who was slain. Here we go. And it says, and they, referring to the 24 elders and four living creatures, and they sang a new song, saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. The worth of God, the worth of Christ is what drives our worship. So I guess the question then becomes, like, is, is the worth of God in our minds and on our hearts when we enter this place? Like, how do you come? How do you approach God? Ecclesiastes 5 says, guard your steps. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. In other words, prepare well. Get your heart ready. Don't come in this flippant, cavalier manner. God does not want us to come to him with this kind of casual approach, as if we're going to the movies or Starbucks or somewhere. God is God. He's king. He deserves everything that we have. And so we will never be a church that advertises, hey, come to Redemption Hill. We're a casual church. All right? Seen, have you seen churches do that before? This is casual church. Come to casual church. All right? And, and okay, I'm not trying to take shots here. We're not about that. We're about the kingdom. We love our brothers and sisters. And I, and I know what they're getting at, right? They're getting at this. Like, they're getting at, it's okay, come as you are. And that's what we're about here, right? On, you see the stage, khakis, jeans, a couple Sundays ago wore a tie. This is not, this is not, that's, that's really, in, in many ways, inconsequential. Why? Because God is interested in what? Not the fabric of our clothes, but the fabric of our hearts. And so how do you come? Do, do, do you take this, these moments lightly? Is it just something that you do? It's like it's, it's your, your routine. Or is it something that you're giving your life to, your heart to? Let me give some encouragement here for, for preparing for worship. And these are, these are six, six, six encouragements that I, I need to put in practice every week myself. Okay? So, so here we go. How can we better prepare for worship e- each week? Number one, let's consistently grow in the knowledge of God. 
consistently grow in the knowledge of God. Perhaps we don't worship God all that well consistently because we don't know him very well. How well do you know God? That God is holy. God is transcendent. God is imminent. God is just. God is unchanging. God is eternal. God is loving. He's compassionate, merciful, forgiving. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. He's omnipresent. He's all-powerful. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. And that's just to name a few. God is a great God. He's good. And he desires to meet with us. And so as we get to know God more through our week, as we spend that quality time with him every day, then we're going to be better prepared for what happens on a Sunday when we gather to worship. It's going gonna, it's gonna to infuse our daily worship of him with new life and renewal. So let's get to know God more and more and more. Number two, let's prepare for worship physically. I just want to might catch you off guard. I would think about this. We're, we're psychosomatic creatures, right? And, and, and so Josh Harris, I really can identify with this, with this quote in his book, Stop Dating the Church, which is on our resource table back there. He says this, On far too many Sundays, I have woken up late, walked into church groggy, worshipped distractedly, listened occasionally, left early, and remembered very little. Have have you ever been there? Ever? I mean, what what do we do with our Saturday nights and our Sunday mornings? You know what I'm saying? Like, we should give some attention to that as, as believers. It's just like, man, this is an important part of my week. This is one of the most important meetings of my week, if not the most important meeting of my week. And so I want to prepare well. Like, I want to I I get some rest. I want to I wake up and, and have my, my senses rolling and, you know, like, get that nappy bedhead, you know, like, calm down and, and be prepared. You're all looking good today, by the way. All right? Be prepared to, to worship God and how we even take care of our bodies each and every week. Here's number three. Confess and repent of sin. All right, now we know that that all of life is is repentance, that that it should be happening all the time. But when Jesus speaks in the Sermon on the Mount, he he says, look, before you go to to worship, before you go to the altar, if you have sin in your life and sin against your brother, then then work that out. Like, get get that stuff right. Get your, get your relations right. Get your relationship with God right. So, so that we're not coming into to his presence with, with this disrupted fellowship. And so we, we, we need to constantly be, be looking at our lives and saying, you know what, God, yeah, I blew this area, God. Forgive me. Help me to, to be clean before you, pure before you. We need, to, we need to practice confession and repentance day by day. This is, this is how we respect God, by, by living consistently for him throughout the week. Think about it, 168 hours in a week, 168. What are you doing with the, with the other roughly 167 hours of your week? What you do with those is going to necessarily affect what happens in this hour. So, so just, just think about this. The moment that we end, you know, and Micah says, you are dismissed. All right, he usually says that. Like, as soon as you leave here, like, you leave these doors, okay, we're, like, worshiping still as we interact with others, and, you know, we'll get there. But, but as you leave Spring Step, like, that's when preparation for next Sunday begins, right there. 
It's a life before God, a life pursuing Him at all times. Number four, I like this one, come expectantly. We, we pray when we gather for worship. So is this like a part of the routine, the rhythm of your life? If we pray here, why don't we pray there? You ever ask God, do you, do you take time, you know, Saturday night, Sunday morning, to, to say, like, God, work in us. Like, speak to me. Open my eyes. Transform my life. Transform the lives of those around us. Let's pray expectantly. We sing here, right? I mean, do you ever tune your heart to sing? Like, tune your heart on Sunday morning by, by singing a song of praise to God, even if it's just on your way here. What a great practical exercise to be ready to engage God in worship. What about reading the Word? Like, we're, we're exposition, expositional, man. We're just, we're just working through, through books here. We're in Ecclesiastes. I mean, you know, next week we're going to be in 5, 8, and following. So you can, like, read that and prepare for that. Be in the Word. Have God speak to you consistently. It's a great way to prepare and to come expectantly to worship. Number five, be, be ready to focus on the truth, Okay? Be ready to focus on the truth. Listen, when we sing songs of worship, focus on the words of the song. Well, when you, when you hear from, from the word, focus on the word. We're just trying to explain the word and apply the word. It's, uh, God is, is a God who has revealed himself to us. He's a God of truth. He gives us truth, the truth that sets us free. And so he, here's, our, here's our philosophy of worship, okay? Mike and I didn't come up with this. This is just how we, how we roll from, from other people, Okay substance over style. You got that? Substance over style. What does that mean? It means that what we sing, the words that we sing, is more important than the style with which we play it. doesn't matter if we have a guitar, a kazoo, a piano, an organ, you know. It's, it's the content. I know some of you may come from different traditions. You may be a little bit of a more lively kind of worship. Maybe for others, it's a little more kind of, you know, sedate isn't the right word, but it's the word that's coming to mind. But it's, you know, a little, a little more higher church and kind of more reverent. Not that reverence is a matter of our heart, right, like we're getting at. But, 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 it, but it's, it's substance over style. That's why we choose songs that are loaded with theologically rich content. We choose God-centered, gospel-centered songs for us to sing. And we pray that these songs like get in our souls and our hearts and we're thinking about them through the week. I know Micah spends a lot of time each week choosing songs for us to sing that really, that really capture where we're going as a church and what we're, we're meditating on in the Word. So we, we want to we focus on the truth when we meet together, but, but, but we're also not saying that style is unimportant. Okay, so so you could expand that three words to six, and we want to we want substance over style with undistracted excellence. This is just kind of another to throw out our worship ministry philosophy. And we want we want to sing well, we want to play well, we want to honor God in the way that we worship Him through instruments and our voices. And and I, I, again, you may you may come from a different tradition. All right. But, but think about this. This is for all of us here. Okay, so I want to I just kind of preach to everybody here, which is always the goal. Um, worship is not a spectator sport. The band is not up here to perform. This is not a performance. You are not the audience. 
God is the audience. We're responding to him. He sees what we're doing as we uh, talk about and sing about how great he is. It thrills his heart. But, 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 but we are the ones, we are the participants. We need to be active in worship. No matter, no matter what the style, no matter how God's working in our, in our lives. Listen, I know this may make some of us un, uncomfortable, but, but God actually commands us, okay? He said commands us to clap, shout, raise our hands, dance, dance. Some of you are singing like, well, Tanner, I'm like, I'm clapping in my heart here, you know? I'm shouting in my heart. You just can't. Like, God sees it. He hears it. I'm dancing on Sunday. These are all viable expressions of worship, right? I mean, God is a God of order. We're not just going like, to go crazy here and like up, up and down you know, the aisles and be a distraction, right? Because we care about our neighbor and we want to... But, 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 but these are viable expressions of worship. I mean, look, look, at, look at David in 2 Samuel 6. I love the story. David and the Israelites bringing back the ark of God. And this was so significant because the presence of God was, was with the ark. And, and, and so it was a symbol. It had not been in, in Jerusalem, the city of David. And so they're bringing it back. And it's, it's a picture of their spiritual renewal and repentance to God. And David is so jacked up about it that it says in 2 Samuel 6, 14, it says, and David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. What is that? It's like he was, he was dancing in his undergarments. All right? They were modest, okay? It was like a robe. He could, he could get away with it. But, but needless to say, it wasn't, it wasn't very commonplace in that day. For anyone, much less the king. And so his wife Michael says, Oh, how you have honored yourself today before all of the people of Israel and, and even these slave girls, basically being sarcastic to say, Look, you who are the king, you have dishonored yourself. You have dishonored our kingdom. And what does David say? He says, It's before God that I will dance. And I will become even more undignified than this. Because God is that great. He's that awesome. And sometimes we just have to dance. We just have to clap our hands, you know? Like, Yunia, like she, you know, different tradition, Uganda, you know? Like, and, 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 like, let's do that, you know? Let's just clap our hands. Raise our hands to God. It's okay. If that's not your deal, you know, like, Yunia's not more spiritual. Doesn't mean she's coming in, you know, with a, a heart that's more pure before God. But, but those are valid expressions of worship. At the same time, we find commands to kneel, to stand in awe, to be humble, to be quiet, to be silent. At Redemption Hill, we really want this to be not an either or, but a both and. These are all ways that we can approach God and worship to him and giving him praise. And so, so those, are, those, are, those are six ways that we can better prepare ourselves to worship each time that we gather together. And, and kind of to add to that, I would say let's follow up really well. And what I mean by that is that 
let's not let just this, this, these moments kind of happen and pass, but let's, let's, let's think on them. Let's pray about them. Let's take them with us. With us. Let's, let's converse about them over lunch or get together in the next day or two. Man, how did God speak to you? How did God work in your life? What's he doing? This is why we, in our community groups, we apply the word. We discuss what we've dis- heard on, on Sunday mornings. So let's respond well. Let's guard our steps when we come into God's presence. But, but here's the beautiful thing. Even though we are to come with reverence and we are to guard our steps when we come, the beautiful thing is God is saying, come. He's saying, come. Come and worship me. Come and know me. How is this possible? It's possible because of the gospel. Jesus Christ died on a Roman cross to make God accessible to us like 24-7. When Jesus died on the cross, Matthew tells us that the veil of the temple into the most holy place, not even the holy place, but the most holy place, the holy of holies, it was ripped into, saying God is accessible through Christ. Hebrews 10, check it out on the screen. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence, we come with reverence and confidence, Confidence to enter the holy places. How? By the blood of Jesus. By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain. The curtain we just talked about. That is, but no, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up toward love and good deeds, good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So if if God is infinitely valuable, he is this great, he has made a way for us to worship him, then we should come guarding our steps with reverence, but also with confidence because of Jesus. And I just want to encourage you, like this isn't just for, you know, Redemption Hill, and when you're in Boston, I know that Boston's a transient place. Chances are not all of us are going to be here in five years or 10 years or 50 years. Some of us will be prayerfully, all right? But make, make worship a priority in your life wherever you are, wherever you go. I know sometimes, you know, work responsibilities come up. We have regulars that, that sometimes have to travel for work and, and they're gone multiple Sundays in a month and we understand that. Sometimes you know, you're sick, the kids are sick. You know, sometimes things come up, you're, you're on vacation. We understand that. But, but let's ask ourselves, are we really prioritizing it? Like, when we can be here, are we here? If, we, if, if just our semi-consistent kind of attenders would be super consistent attenders and be here every week, we would have over 100 people every week. You may not know that, but it's true. We would have over 100 every week. You say, there you go again, Tanner. It's about numbers. It's not about numbers. In fact, it's not even about worship attendance. All right? So, yeah, we want to prioritize it. We want to invite people. We want to bring people. We want to take our invite cards, you know, up here and on the resource tables and, and invite and bring vite, as John likes to say, and, and get people here to know this great God with us. But that's not the point. Like, attendance is not the point. Jesus is the point. We want to bring people to worship Jesus, to know Jesus. He's the point.
So let's, let's be a church that, that values worship rightly. And then at the same time, let me throw out one final danger here. We can trust in this. You get it? Some people base their relationship with God on their church attendance. They base their standing before God on their church attendance. Sometimes we make assumptions. That person is a believer, a Christian, a Christ follower because they attend church. That's not the way it works. Just because, you know, I like Starbucks doesn't make me a barista. You know what I'm saying? And so this is, what, this is what Israel had a problem with. Jeremiah 7, look, look, look here. Jeremiah 7, 1 through 4. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word and say, Hear the word of the Lord. All you men of Judah who enter these gates to worship the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. Here it is. Amend your ways and your deeds. And I will let you dwell in this place. Do not trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord. The temple of the Lord. The temple of the Lord. What's going on here? In other words, the Israelites were saying, hey, you know, God is in his temple and they were just presuming upon God's grace, his, his blessing, his presence. And they were coming in this ritualistic routine without their hearts being engaged and thinking everything was all good between them and God. And that's not how we are to worship him, which leads us to our, our second encouragement this morning. Not only to worship God with reverence and confidence, we are also to, to worship him with humility and sincerity. Humility and sincerity. Read, read uh, verse uh, one again with me uh, through verse three. Here we go. Guard your steps. When you go to the house of God, to draw near to listen is to better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much busyness and a fool's voice with many words. So we've, we've, we've hit on this a little bit. But, but we come not to offer these sacrifices of a fool, but to listen, to listen, and to listen with humility. So again, when we sing these, these songs, are we listening to the words? Are we saying, God, like, make those true and real in my heart now, this week? When we hear from God's word, are we, are we receiving it with, with meekness, humility, the implanted word James 1, 21 talks about? Look, when, when John and I prepare to, to preach every Sunday, and we prepare, and we don't want to spend all this time like, to, to come up with our own ideas and to tell our own stories, and you know, is like we have nothing to bring to the table. Okay? God has spoken in his word. And so our job is to just speak the words that are here. And we believe as we're faithful to do that, that God speaks to his people and he transforms his people by his word. Jesus prayed, John 17, 17, sanctify them. By the truth, your word is truth. So, so, so when you come to worship, are you listening with humility? Are you asking God to transform your heart? Bring, bring your word. 
If you don't, if you don't have a, a Bible, I know we provide them for you, but if you don't have one, we have three Bibles there in the back. Please, by all means, go grab one. Grab one for a friend if you need to, to, to share with them. But let's, let's be in the Word. Let's receive it with humility. And, and, then, and then number two, let's sacrifice with sincerity. Okay, so in the Old Testament, the, the people of God brought these sacrifices to God. These are all these different sacrifices, grain, grain offerings and, and peace offerings and, and, and sin offerings, and they would sacrifice bulls and, and lambs and, and, and doves. And they were doing this out of their devotion to God and to seek forgiveness from God for, for, for their sin. And, and, and as, as we talked about it a minute ago, and we're going to see this more, they didn't always do that with their heart involved. God wants our heart. He does not want our performance. He wants our heart. So this is why Jesus says to the Pharisees in Matthew 15, 8 and 9, quoting Isaiah 29, this people honors me with their lips. And here's the tricky part. Let me just go and throw this in there. Here's the tricky part. Sometimes you can't tell. You just can't tell. You could be here every Sunday. You can honor God with your lips, and, and you might have everyone in here fooled. Except God. Because God says, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. Teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. In vain do they worship me. Wow. I pray that God never has that heart toward us. Man, that was, that was useless. It was empty. It was a waste of time. It was worthless in my sight. Because these people are really not about me. They're not living for me. They're not, they're not pursuing me. Hosea 6, 6, for I desire steadfast love, not sacrifice. The knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Joel 2, 12 and 13, so good. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. So these sacrifices that we bring to God, our expressions of worship, they have to be from the heart, sincere. That's what pleases our God. And then finally, pray with intentionality. He says, look, God is in heaven, you are on earth, let your words be few. This doesn't mean that we can't pray a lengthy prayer. What he's guarding against is, you know, we don't have to ramble and babble in our praying. God is not impressed with the amount of our words, the flowery nature of our words. He's the one that gave us those words in the first place. Okay, so, so God is just interested in raw, natural, heartfelt prayers. Prayers like this. God, you are awesome. God, I am not awesome. I blew, I blew it this week. Again, I had pride in my heart that led me to tear down that person. I had lust in my heart that caused me to objectify that person made in your image. So, so God, would you, would you forgive me? Would you change me? I want to be like you. Simple prayer like that. You know, it doesn't have to be like Billy Graham style of prayer. Just pray with sincerity from our hearts. And when we use words, let's, let's, let's be humble and sincere and honest and passionate before God as we seek Him. 
This is all part of, of worshiping with humility and sincerity. And, and, then, and then the last encouragement really, really quickly from verses four through seven, to worship God with gravity and gladness. Okay, I'm gonna sum this up for us quick so we can respond to him. When you vow a vow to God, do not de- delay in paying it. For he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin and do not say before the messenger, that was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and the words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. So, so here, what we have going on again is, is this vain worship, this, this artificial sacrifice. People are making vows to God. Hey, God, if you'll do this, I'll do that. And what was really happening here is that they were playing games with God, just playing a game. They didn't mean it. They weren't going to follow through. There was no true commitment and devotion there. And so God is saying, look, be committed. Like, it better be the real deal when we do business because I'm God and I love you and I care about you and I want your heart. Don't play games with God. Fear God, as it says there in the last. Like, live our life with this reverential awe. God is God and I'm gonna love him and I respect him. I'm gonna live my life for him. So we worship with gravity. That's it. That's taking it with seriousness. Gravity weight, and at the same time with gladness. Because this is joyful. This is a delight. God is awesome. Our affections should be stirred and raised. Our emotions lifted when we worship God. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Psalm 211, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Psalm 3211. So when we come to worship, we should do so with reverence and confidence, humility and sincerity, gravity and gladness. Is this how you come? Is this how you want to come? Let's do it. And let's bring God sacrifices. You say, like, Tanner, I thought you went to seminary. Like, we don't have to do that anymore, right? Like no, no bulls, no, no goats, no blood here. That's right. Yeah, just the blood of Jesus. It's enough. But listen to Hebrews 13. This is so good. Speaking of Jesus, Hebrews 13, 15. Through him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. What's that sacrifice? The fruit of lips that acknowledge or confess his name. So that's what we're about to do. I want to pray and I want to move us into a time of responding to this word. And Mike and John are going to come back up and they're going to lead us in a time of singing and praying. But, but, but let's worship God like this. Guarding our steps, coming with reverence and confidence and gravity and gladness. Saying, you know what, God, here, here's my sacrifice. Man, I don't have much to give, but I do have something to give you. Jesus, that you gave to me. We have life through Christ. And it's confessing the name of Jesus, our all-sufficiency, all of our life. Every good in me is Jesus. So when we say Jesus, like God knows that, and he's really pleased and fired up about us confessing the name of Jesus.
So let's do it. God, thank you so much for your word. Help us to worship you in a way that truly honors you from the heart. Father, we, we do ask that, that you would help us even now, but, but as we continue to come to, to worship in this place, Lord, let us prioritize this. Let us, let us, let us come in and, and seek to drown out the distractions best we, we possibly can so we can fix our eyes on you and, and worship you well. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.